Hi, friends, fellow evolvers and curious people everywhere. Welcome to this episode of Being with Sally Wilson. I'm Sally Wilson, and it's a huge pleasure for me to actually have a return guest today. That's just how popular her first episode, episode 13, was with us, the wonderful Kirsten McDonald. Welcome back, Kirsten. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. That kind of introduction. That's, I'll, I'll ride on that one for the next week. <laughs> That's awesome. How are you? Oh, great. Really great. And um, I've been looking forward to, to this episode, to doing this recording with you all week, quite honestly, all week. So, oh. yes. So, listeners, if you haven't heard Kirsten's first episode, I highly recommend you go back and have a listen because obviously we're covering different stuff today. Um, And the first episode um, covers really a lot of Kirsten's story, um, how she came to have these ideas about a life of permission, you know, how that came about, um, for example. Um, So for those of you who don't know, Kirsten is an author and she's also um, the founding editor of Ponderings magazine. So, Kirsten, could you give our our listeners who haven't yet listened to your first episode just a real nutshell, Mm -hmm. might be difficult, but a nutshell (laughs) of your story just so they have a starting point? Oh, gosh. Okay. Nutshell. That's always hard for me. (laughs) I'm a talker. So basically in 2012, um, I had some headaches, ended up having to go in and have a craniotomy. Uh, and that resulted in a fairly serious operation um, that resulted in saving my life but also having to learn how to walk again uh, and having, oh, woke up blind. So for some time um, I had only, I think, 4% vision, uh, which is blind, and, um, and I had to navigate that space and then got the all clear and then a couple of years later uh, I was told that I had a, a worse one. And uh, that one was not able to be fixed with neurosurgery. I had to have a new type of operation done, but was told that, um, yeah, that my life may have an expiry date on it that was much sooner than what I would anticipate. So that kind of changed my life, (laughs) you could say. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Big big time. So it was just, yeah, huge, huge part of my life and continues to be a really big part of my life, but uh, not in a negative way, I wouldn't say. Mm. Mm. And and that experience mm-hmm. um, has led you to understanding um, what a life of permission is, right? Mm. Big time. So what, what does that mean, life of permission? So I think sometimes when people say, oh, you know, pardon me, hay fever, Um, giving yourself permission is kind of almost got like a bratty connotation to it, like I'm just going to say and do whatever I want or I'm going to just be however I want to be and people can just deal with it. Not the case. Mm. It's so much more complex than that. The immediate immediate thing that springs to mind, which you and I have spoken about before, is that um, we really kind of mould ourselves and fit ourselves into, I suppose, the social expectations and the norms and everything that we do in life. And often that can mean sometimes not being true to ourselves in the most unobvious, non-obvious ways. Mm. It could mean that you don't 
follow the career that you wanted or you don't follow a dream or you live live a life really kind of fitting into what everybody else expects from you. And that in itself can actually feel quite authentic. You can feel quite authentic living in that life. But then when, when, a, when a doctor shows you your brain and shows that the, the, the major artery that brings blood into the brain is hanging on by a thread and they, they cannot tell you how long you've got to live, whether that's two days, two weeks, two years, ten years. All of that literally runs to the forefront of, oh, my gosh. And you, you just don't, you kind of shed all of that like a, like a coat that you're throwing off and there's almost then a process of panic. How do I want to spend my time? What do I want to do? And then you start to shed off all these social constructs that you've absorbed into your skin. Mm. It's liberating, it's horrifying, and it's frightening. Um, and then it, it moves into a process of joy where you go, you know what, I don't know, this is my, and you claim it, this is my life, why haven't I done this and why didn't I do that? And it, it can be as simple as recognising that, you know, why didn't I use the good glassware? Why mm-hmm. don't I wear my most fabulous dress every day? Like what am I saving that for? Yeah. Um, to... You know, I often have really nice thoughts about people I care about, even people I don't don't even know. So then it was, you know what, every time I see somebody, which I've said to you before, mm-hmm. if I think something really nice about them, I'm going to tell them as long as they don't think I'm a weirdo, <laughs> that, you know, like a supermarket chick. If I said, oh, hey, God, I love your eyes, she might get a bit freaked out over that. But also, like letting out those, you know, inner joys and and not suppressing them, and that's the first. That's just the first layer, yeah, right? right? Why haven't I taken that holiday? What am I saving? Is good. Like, don't get me wrong. Being fiscally sound is brilliant. What am I saving it for? Mm. Why, if I do have the ability, why haven't I bought that red sports car that I dreamt about when I was a little girl? And why? you did, right? And you I did, did. <laughs> absolutely. I did, and you know, and so, and the funny thing is, often it's stuff you've put on yourself that nobody else has actually put these expect you've allowed, you've taken them on for yourself. Yeah. So I always say, I hear from a lot of people, oh, but I can't do this and I can't do that, and I'll go. Mm. If you sat in the doctor's office and they told you you didn't know how long you had, I guarantee you, you would do it. Mm. You would absolutely do it. Then the kind of, I guess, that's just the immediate. That's, you know, what happens. And you see it so often in uh, elderly people. Mm. My nana once said to me, always do what you want to do as a child, what you feel passionate about as a child because you'll end up doing it anyway. Mm. And often you'll see people going to retirement and they'll have this right to give themselves permission to then you know play more golf or perhaps it's to be the painter or learn the instrument or the language they always wanted to and then often you'll see people say oh why didn't I do this earlier yeah why didn't I invest my life into this or why didn't I do that and if you unpack that it's because they didn't give themselves permission to do it because of some sort and everybody's individual some sort of construct Mm. um 
Yeah. So to people who are listening and sort of thinking, oh, well, hang on. Am I doing what I really want to do? Like how how can I tell whether I'm living a life of permission? Because as you said, it mm. it can be very subtle, can't it? We can think we're living a life doing what we want mm. to do. Um, but it's such a state of our our normal that that we often don't don't question it and we don't mm. yeah so how for people who are listening um i suppose what what might be some signs that you're perhaps not living your life of permission well i think for for men and women and i've seen this happen before too and I've seen some very brave men that have actually broken out of that. There's, a, there's also this expectation that you'll be, which is quite patriarchal, I'm going to be the provider. I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to put food on the table. And don't get me wrong, you, if you have children, you need to provide for them and make sure that they have all the needs to be successful humans. But, again, how you do that and then giving up bits of yourself. I'm not just talking about being a parent. I'm just using that as an example. Mm. What it looks like, unfortunately, <clears throat> I say unfortunately, sometimes it takes an existential crisis or it takes some mm. sort of illness or it takes something that will bring you to your knees for you to actually understand yes. that you've been giving up little tiny pieces of yourself over your entire life. Yeah. And I'd like to say that there's a there's a there's some sort of formula for you to just go, oh, I'm not living my best life. I'm not giving myself permission. I would say peace. Mm. How do I feel right now? Do I feel peaceful? Am I am I waking up in the morning? So it's really identifying the negative aspects and then saying, well, hang on a second. Well, why am I creating that? Why is that in my life? Why is this happening? Um, for example, do you wake up in the morning feeling like, oh, my gosh, I've got so much to do today, I've got to do this and I've got to do this, and that's just so overwhelming. And, well, for starters, before you've even got going for the day, there's no joy in that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I could say there's no joy in those feelings. Mm. Um, and the overwhelm. And then being really mindful of how you feel. So it could be something simple like you know, and we've all experienced it, where you might be, um, and none of this sounds significant, but it actually is, Yeah. where you get invited to, to do a social event, you, you get invited to go somewhere. And there's part of you that just really doesn't want to do it. But you don't want to let people down, you don't want to seem like you're being antisocial, oh, no, it'd be good for me, especially, you know, maybe people have been in lockdowns and things like that, oh, no, I've really got to go, I've got to go and do this, I'll push myself and then you get there. And you have a terrible night. Yeah. <laughs> or you come home and go, why did I do that? Why did I put myself in that situation? And I'm, and I'm tired. Well, one, you weren't listening to your body. Mm. You weren't listening to what your body needed. And when you're in that situation, do I feel peaceful? Do I feel calm? Do I feel like I'm in the company of people that value who I am? Mm. So one unique aspect of learning how to walk again was that you have to be mindful to get your muscles to move. Mm -hmm. You have to concentrate. You have to focus. I also ended up um, with epilepsy and narcolepsy. Now, epilepsy is just unforgiving. 
If you get too stressed or you push yourself too hard, you're going to have a seizure. Mm. So it's a wicked alarm clock. Mm. Me regulated, like I don't have a choice. Um, <coughs> self-regulation goes out the window. So I'd like to give credit to myself for like coming up. But, you know, it does. And you, you're kind of forced to have to go, well, pretty tired, pretty sure that cocktail party is not going to go down well if I drop in front of everybody. That's just going to be a deal breaker right there. Um, I wouldn't be very good social company if I did that. <laughs> You know, and so, uh, yeah, there's that. Mm. But I would would definitely say um, sometimes the things that we, that seem subtle Mm. are profoundly huge, but because we're so tactile and because we're so embedded in in the physicalness of life, we've really forgotten how to pay attention to what's going on in our body. Mm. and how it feels and I know that doesn't sound like it's connected to permission but it's completely connected yep Mm. and a thought that just comes into my mind around that is that you know if we're listening to our mind all the time here's here's something I think so important to understand about the mind it it is so powerful and it can completely overwhelm Mm. our real discernment Mm -hmm. so you know you can have this as you said, this, this monologue in your head, well, oh no, I really need to go to that social gathering because, oh, you know, I owe her, (coughs) you know, it can make up all these stories. And here's the thing, it will never stop making up stories. But Mm -hmm. just being aware of the mind and its power to lead us astray. Yes. And to lead us away from Mm. um, the feelings in our body and Mm -hmm. I think that's how you put it, right? The feelings in your body. And and something that I've been learning a lot about recently, which I just find fascinating, mm-hmm. is um, the intelligence of the heart. And, you know, in our society, we come to think of the heart as, you know, when people say, oh, follow your heart, all the, it, it sounds like a metaphor. It's mm-hmm. not. The yeah. heart has its own right. independent nervous system. It has neurons <laughs> mm-hmm. and it has its own intelligence and more I study it yes more I realize ah that's that's where mm. kind of truth and, and real guidance yep. comes from to our heart. What, so, what would you say to that yeah yeah absolutely I agree with you so when I say mind as well I think I think thoughts are a mechanism of the mind but when I think of mindfulness I'm thinking about how my entire brain is actually symbiotically working to help better support my body. So when I was learning how to, this is the easiest way to explain it. When I was learning how to walk on the on the rails, um, if I was thinking about stuff, there was no way those legs were going to work. Right? Yeah. If I was thinking about who was coming to visit me and what was going to happen and worry, those legs weren't going to work. Yeah. So that was being focusing on the physical body, focusing Mm. on my feet and, you know, went from being able to walk anywhere as you do to walking, say, one metre that would take me 20 minutes and I would be literally sweating with the level of true concentration. It's almost, you know, you see um, athletes 
And I know the word getting into flow is used so much now, Mm -hmm. but that really tapping into flow, I'm quite sure when they're running and winning a gold medal or they're swimming or doing gymnastics, they're not thinking about their grocery shopping. I'm just taking a wild guess, right? Or they're not thinking about that conversation they had last week with their best mate that pissed them off. So (laughs) I absolutely agree with you. And actually I was just talking to a girlfriend about this the other day. I call it my spidey senses. Mm -hmm. But how often do you talk to people that before they are about to do something, they get this tiny little niggle. Mm. And often it is only tiny. It's just, and it comes from there. It, well, for me, it's the heart sternum area. Yep. And and you ignore it or you may ignore it or you may go, oh, it, it doesn't seem to be physical enough. It doesn't seem to be big enough for you to stop like an earthquake, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it is. When that is, that's a blessing because that's just a no. And then you go and you do it or you go into something and something catastrophic happens, Mm. something small can happen when we ignore that, and that's hard. That's that's all of that connected. So right from learning how to walk to exactly what you're talking about and then intuition, you call it intuition, people call it that, whatever that is, but that you know, it's like we're an entire solar system within our own walking being. Yeah. And we need to be really aware of what's going on inside of ourselves without getting entangled in these thoughts, which I think people spend the rest of their lives doing. Yeah. I'm a shocker for it. I'm a thinker, you know, and, and so often I have to get out of the way of my own thinking. And that in itself is giving yourself permission. Yes. And like, and who doesn't, right? And we were, um, we were talking about Bill Bennett and his episode, because his episode was on um, intuition and also on fear. And, and he said, the first thing you need to do in order to start to tap into your intuition, he calls it your PGS, your personal guidance system, is to stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's to stop, like stop your mind from running around, just stop give yourself a moment stillness and that's the first step because I think as you were saying you know (laughs) intuition I think people kind of build up this sort of mystical thing around it and they build up an idea of what it should feel like and oh my god it should feel like this massive (gasps) whatever it's it's not it's little tiny little tiny things that pop up little feelings I mean, look, sometimes it is kind of, you know, hit you over the head kind of stuff as it was with Bill. That's what sort of, you know, sparked yep. his fascination with it. Uh-huh. Um, but more, more often than not, it's just, as you said, the little niggly feelings, mm. you know, in our body. Um, often my, my intuition sort of, particularly when I'm, I'm talking with people who I feel a particular, a real connection with, um, when certain things come up, I get this. I get this goose flesh, goosebumps. Um, but it's just, it's just a matter of sort of learning to listen to those things which we may have completely ignored. Yes. In the past and experimenting. <laughs> Absolutely. And as and you've just brought that to my attention too. It's not just about having intuition about the negative things, it's also about having intuition about the positive things. Because, you know, um, that inner voice or that, that GPS. I really <laughs> like that. That's really cool. Um, I, I now, having experienced what I have, 
I'd be scared not to. Yeah, right. I'd be scared not to. Wow. And you just, you know, people say don't die with your regrets in you. You know, there's all these sort of bumper stickers you can have, but my gosh, uh, do they ring true? They really, really ring true. And people need to back themselves mm. more and not wait for other people to back them. Yeah. But mm-hmm. just going back to what you said, mm-hmm. having gone through what you've gone through now, you'd be scared not to listen to it. That mm-hmm. that flips the whole thing on its head. And for me, that's like, ha-ha. Oh, yes, right. You do not, you do not want to miss out on the on the best life you can possibly live. And I think again. There is a, there's a almost a, which echoes through the chambers of, of social media of what that looks like. Mm. And for some people, which we, I think we touched on in the first podcast, we can also get kind of trapped into this idea of what success is. Um, and we're bombarded, aren't we, all the time with all these successful people or people that aren't even successful, but they're telling you they are. <laughs> and you know entrepreneurs and they're doing this and they're doing oh my goodness oh my goodness and I'm just this where in actual fact there's probably a fisherman living in India somewhere that is the happiest happiest woman or man on the planet we just don't know about them because they're not on Instagram (laughs) maybe they're on TikTok who knows all the great you know all the great people are on TikTok Sal but um, if anybody that's listening hasn't seen Sally's TikTok, please get on and have a look. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. This, anyway, we don't need to go into that whole story. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So yeah. that success thing too. So you know what? If your life of permission is living in a beach shack and painting paintings that you're only going to hang in your own toilet and that makes you feel happy and you can feed yourself and you can provide for yourself and you're not putting an unreasonable pressure on society around you to support you and you're being a responsible human. Well, you know what? Go get it. Do it. That's what that means. Give yourself permission to live the life that you get to the end of your life whenever that is. And I think we also have this idea that we're all going to live until we're old and then it's a bloody rude shock if anybody dies before then. It's the <laughs> biggest injustice. Yet no, very yeah. small portion of people live beyond 80, very small in the Western world. And, you know, you want to make sure that when you are laying there and you are in your last moments, you go, wow, man, that was cool. That was cool. So that just brought up a thought for me, Kirsten, for people who are, they're in relationships, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're in committed relationships. Yes. Um, and they, they're they listening to this thinking, I really, really, I want to live that life of permission, but don't all relationships involve compromise? I've got some pretty strong views on, on this. Yeah. I've got some really strong views that might um, trigger some people, but this is... I promised you that I would be off there. Go ahead and rock the boat. That's what we like. Absolutely. If you are in a relationship where you are not two individuals living your best life, 
bouncing off each other beautifully, learning from each other, even if that means arguing with each other and challenging each other and not living the life that you are supposed to be living because I do believe that we all have a little bit of a destiny going on. I do think there's a little bit of that sneaking in. Um, you're in the wrong relationship. Uh, and I've seen, I've had some very brave friends in their 40s that have broken uh, out of where they were in a relationship and then often there's the, you know, it's so hard. It's a, it's a really hard thing to do. But then they'll often say, oh, again, gosh, I wish I had done that sooner. Mm-hmm. And they've fought for their marriages and their relationships and their partnerships and they've, you know, because we, we take vows or we make a commitment to somebody and often people really, really honour that. Mm. But, often, but that then opens the door too to level up a little bit. You can often be in a relationship and, and not want to challenge the person you're in or there might be fears that you bring into it and, um, you know, and, and you might not be giving that person the opportunity to, to level up for themselves because mm. people can often cling to security that, you know, the, the, the family unit itself, and I use that because that's my experience, the family unit itself is very sacred and safe in a lot of ways. And so sometimes we don't want to kind of pick, pick away because it feels like that will unravel and that would just be the end of everything. And, yes. and that's real, you know. But then there's that bravery. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say either give the other person the opportunity to level up real quick uh, and join you on their own, you know, two individuals walking down a road. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. How are you doing? Well, man, this is tough. Well, you know what? What you did, that really got under my skin. Okay, why? Oh, let's unpack. You know, there's yeah. joy and companionship, but you have to be able to do that because if you don't, you're going to resent each other. Mm. You're really going to resent each other. That's actually one thing in my own relationship that I have really enjoyed is that Travis and I have always sort of had that um, freedom to be who we are to an extent and obviously you know we've been together a very long time and that changes as you go and it and it, and it alters and moves you know but we've always we've never kind of I for better we've never held each other back there's never been an opportunity where we've gone, oh, I don't want you to do that or I don't want It's like, okay, what do we need to do to make that happen? Mm. Um, and, yeah, because otherwise really what you're doing is you're walking on a road and then you're stopping and talking to the dude selling potatoes and then you stay mm. and you forget that there's this whole life ahead of you and you just get all wrapped up in selling potatoes on the side of the road and you might have a wow of the time. Hmm. Something deep, deep down is going to be singing to you going, come on, come on, mm. back onto your track, back onto your life. And it starts to feel like cracks in people. And I think you see when people are miserable as they, you know, see it a lot, particularly in women. We seem to we seem to get in our 40s a lot of the time. And I don't want to overgeneralise or globalise anybody, but um, you get into your 40s and you start to get a bit of a sniff that something just ain't right here. And, you know, well, hang on a second, what about me? Where do I fit into this world as a woman? What do I want? Where am I going? I actually don't have to put up with that anymore. I don't need to do that anymore. I can do this. And, I, and you see this sort of 
you see often now you see women getting into their 40s and really kind of starting to go, whoa, hang on a second. Mm. I'm not worn out and getting old. There might just be a feisty little goddess stuck beneath this skin. Who is she? Yeah. Mm. And that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and as you said when we were chatting the other day, um, Mm. not living a life of permission is a breeding ground for resentment. Um, But I reckon also um, recognising that giving yourself permission, that's where it has to start. (laughs) (laughs) you know um but it has to start there we can't hold other people responsible yeah holding ourselves back that's oh i couldn't agree with you more Mm. and and that's a really it's it doesn't it sounds so simple when you say it but it isn't Mm. it really really isn't because you'll often i don't know can you hear (laughs) Can you hear that? I'm on a farm and there's literally a rooster going ballistic outside my window. I did hear a rooster before. Okay, I, did hear a rooster yes, before. Yes. I thought, Sorry, oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's my rooster letting everyone know that he's here. Um, so I'll just sit with that for a moment because I think that's what I mean when I say you need to back yourself because there's a certain element of bravery involved in being accountable for your own life. And often with personal freedom, because that's what it really comes down to, isn't it? It's being responsible for your own personal freedom. It can actually sometimes I've seen it can get chipped away without you even realising it. So people have to be kind of vigilant and not vigilant in a way that you're really like all up and about and alert and overstimulated as to, you know, giving yourself a hard time. Why am I doing this and why am I doing that? But more so it's, 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 it's really establishing that centre of peace daily that then allows all of that to develop yeah. in you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, well, it totally does to me. Yeah. I'm sure it does to the listeners as well. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly yeah. does for me. So um, you mentioned earlier that it's really a peeling off of layers, this process. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about your journey, like your um, layers to giving yourself a life of Sure. Commitment? Okay. <clears throat> so I went from being completely ridiculously over the top and just trying to jam everything I possibly could in because I didn't know when I was going to kick the bucket. <laughs> like, I just want to do everything. We're going to have the best Christmas. Um, the, my, my son at the time was uh, turning eight mm-hmm. and, um, sorry, no, seven, and it was right at the time when I was about to have my second operation and I was like, I won't have this. You know what? I'm going to give this kid the best birthday party he's ever had in his life. And we hired, like, oh my God, it was ridiculous. We hired a transformer, one of those <laughs> big transformers, and we had bumblebee limo, stretch limo, and, you know, we probably couldn't really afford it at the time. But I was like, ah, no, we've got to do everything. And, and so there was this really... Um, I wouldn't say it was reckless, but it was trying to jam in everything. And I managed to tick off everything on my bucket list within two years. <laughs> wow. And then, and then I didn't die. And then that was really awkward because then you're like, oh, shit, okay, so now what? 
And then you kind of realise that doing all of that was really awesome, really fun, but I've completely overstimulated my central nervous system, which probably hasn't been really good for my aneurysm. And um, I've really been kind of over the top. And now uh, most of my family probably think I'm kind of crackers and a bit spontaneous and a bit nutso. So, yeah, I might need to slow it back a bit, you know. So that was the first layer of just go and get it and, you know, it was kind of crazy. Like I even, uh, I had a candle business when I had the first operation and the first one physically it looked like I was destroyed when in actual fact I was rebuilding, my body was mending really well. It just looked bad, you know. The second one I looked physically perfectly fine on the outside but what was going inside was monumentally destructive, you know, <coughs> really not great. Mm-hmm. And so um, but that physically I was I was disabled completely and uh, yet the first thing I said to you I had a candle company and I had a, a candle fact little candle factory and Vision Australia said you know what do you need what can we do what can we do to help you well if you could get me one of those little jiggers that helps me know when the candle wax has reached to the top I was out there blind making candles I'm trying to come up with ideas and, and, and that's one thing when you are a thinker, sit on your backside and you can't walk and you're in a hospital bed, you think an awful lot. You should see my journal. Some of the harebrained things I came up with is hilarious. Um, and so it was almost like um, pushing myself and just wanting, nothing was going to hold me back and I focused so much as well as what I could do not on what I couldn't do. So I didn't I didn't sit with, so that served, that served, that mm-hmm. layer served very well mm-hmm. because whilst my family were all worried, sick, going, my God, can someone stop her? Like she's just rest. Just can you please just rest? They were like, you know what, let's get the heck out of her way. <laughs> what was she doing? And it was mental. But I had an attitude of not, oh, gosh, I can't drive, I can't see, I can't um, make myself, making myself a cup of coffee was really tough. I just wanted to be able to do the normal things that, you know, and I just wouldn't let myself go there. I would be like, I know, what can I do, mm. right? Well, I need to not be able to know how to make toast for my kids in the morning so I don't, without burning myself, so, right, let's do that. Well, I can do that mm. and, I, and I can I have still got my very, very dark sense of humour. That's a bonus. I haven't lost that. Might have not been able to see, but I haven't lost my humour. And the next the next layer from that on uh, was what do I, well, I've been given, I've obviously been given a second chance. Wow, what am I going to do with that? So that looked an awful lot like survivor's guilt. Um. I am in a few groups on on Facebook with aneurysm survivors and families of aneurysm uh, victims, uh, people that have lost their lives because of them, and often, you know, and that next one of permission was giving myself permission to live. Mm. That's a big one. Mm. Permission that it was okay for me to have had this miracle, for me to be able to continue living. For me to be able to live a prosperous life, what does that look like? And having it manifest into your life and then accepting it. Yeah. Uh, and then you want to be really lovely and loving to every single person when you think you're not going to be here because you think about your legacy, what you want to leave in the world. You only want to leave a really lovely footprint that looks like a love heart. Mm. 
and then you break through that and then you might go, hmm, I have a few toxic people in my life that I don't feel very good when I'm around. That's hard. Then mm. And then, you know, hang on a second, so that might be really, you know, and then I had Geelong social media um, and that was very successful. I was incredibly blessed to have a really good team and, and, and then I didn't want to do it anymore. So then it was giving, which I reckon you can relate to this, Sal, then it's giving yourself permission to go, you know what, actually to everybody else's perspective, this looks really successful. I'm actually going to give myself permission to walk away with it, from it, for no good reason. Yeah. Other than it's good for me to do that. Yep. So that was the next mm. shedding. So how you sit in the world, how you view the world, how the world views you, giving yourself permission to live, giving yourself permission to have a, a, um, a nurturing garden bed, I suppose, that you can grow in really well. Uh, and then more recently it was actually doing a little bit of work with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you'll probably be a little bit embarrassed. Maybe I shouldn't say so. Anyway, guys, after my last podcast, I uh, did some work with Sally with her TRTP that was very cool because then I essentially reached another layer in myself where uh, a boundary, I suppose, a block, and it was imposter syndrome and it was uh, to do with writing my book and being able to put myself out there and noticing that there was some inconsistencies and some blockages in my life that I also needed to deal with, which had to do with, you know, accumulated trauma over the you know which there's been plenty there plenty mm. in that bucket was there mm. uh and and that's been huge that's been another huge shedding of skin and then a whole other and you know and then you have parts of yourself that are revealed mm. they're not often bad <laughs> yeah right and look and the way um I mean, the way you write now, mm-hmm. um, and I think we, we had a brief chat about this the other day when we were talking, is that it feels like expression without rules, right? So this whole permission, you know, life of permission, it infiltrates yeah. everything, right? Oh, um, it really does. <clears throat> so how has it affected your writing? Absolutely. So I've always been a writer. Uh, which sounds kind of wanky to say that, but I have. Even when I was like six and seven, people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to, I'm going to write books. Mm. I had an absolute passion for books, either, either a writer or a ballet dancer. They were the two, you know, big dreams. Even to the point when I was like seven and eight that I would walk down to the shops to get milk and interview myself. But, you know, and what I would say to people when I was doing book signings, I'm not even kidding, it's so weird, such a weird kid. And I would write little books for people and um, Valentine's Day was a hot business for me in high school because I'd be writing poems for both of their boyfriends and, you know, and then uh, I went to uni and so I've always been writing uh, and that, you know, and I was a good, I suppose you could say I was a reasonable writer. And sometimes you do things because you're good at them, you're good at something, and then other times you do things because it just flows through you. But one of, one of the things with writing, 
it's an incredibly snobbish industry and there's rules. So some of those illusionary rules are your book's only good if you're published by a publisher. There's, there's number one, which, you know, Billie Eilish certainly kicked that one out of the ballpark when she did her own music and, and launched herself, which has really changed the publishing game because music is publishing. Uh, you have to, who's your audience? You always write for your audience. There's grammatical rules. There's formulas to how one must write. There has to be, you know, a protagonist. There's the hero, the villain. There's the tropes. There's all of these constructs that we've built around the simple art of making a line or an etching on a piece of paper to communicate an idea. Mm. And we've built an entire constitution, institution, I should say, that's my brain fart, institution around, you know, the academia of writing. And uh, and so I, it was actually I was um, writing for myself uh, and I watched an interview with Quentin Tarantino and it was like a light bulb moment for me. And someone said to him, how do you come up with your ideas for your movies? Who do you make your movies for? He said, and it sounds, it kind of sounds a bit arrogant, but he said, I make them for me. He said, write the book that you want to read that nobody has written and make the movie you want to see that nobody's seen. Mm. And that just was, I cannot even tell you how big that was for me. And hey, can, went, you, can you um, say those words again? Can you say that again? Sure. Make the movie that nobody has made that you would like to see and write the book you want to read that no one's ever written. Mm. And if you were to walk into <laughs> any conference or, or writers' festival and they said, who's your audience? Well, me. <laughs> I would laugh at you. But then if you look at that as an artist, if you're a painter, you're painting your, what's coming through you, what you're feeling is coming through onto this beautiful canvas and then it's up to the world how they interpret that and how they feel about that and that is art, not art in the wanky sense, art actually in the real true sense. Mm. You see it with, uh, you know, couture clothing. It's walking art. They're wearing art and it's creating something without any rules around how you should be doing that and then and then giving yourself permission to see how uh, people respond to that and what that means to them. So yeah, that's how that's how that played out. And uh, and so I had already written a book and I took it right back to the beginning. Mm. And I sat there and went, okay, if I could get my hands on a book that I couldn't put down, for me, what would that look like? And what would that formula be like? Mm. And, and, you know, one of them was because uh, I've, I've released one and I've got another one coming out and the second one's story, like short stories. I love a twist, love a twist. I love it when you don't know what's going to happen. I love it when you can see yourself in the characters and I lo absolutely love Easter eggs. You know what Easter eggs are? When they, you know, when there's something connected to something else and then you start to put it all together. Now, usually in a book, you would do that 
once or twice. I did it in every single story and every single chapter, which is a little bit like this, you know, I, I look like one of these detectives that are trying to solve a murder in my office. I've got strings going to this character and this one and this one. I've broken, I think, just about every rule you can imagine. But when I tested it on my test group of readers, they lost it. It, it. They got it. It was, you know, got really excited and it was, yeah. So that's been so, and the joy in writing it, mm. the actual joy in writing something for yourself and not thinking about how it will, how other people will respond to that. Yeah. Because that's none of your business. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I know that part of your um, writing process with this kind of writing is very much away from the mental chatter it's away from self-judgment criticism and it's it's very much tapping into well what we were talking about earlier being able to listen to whether you want to call it your heart or mm-hmm. um it or your um you know personal guidance system or whatever it is right yeah. do I have that right yes mm. yeah absolutely so for example um one of the reasons that I released vignettes um under a pseudonym, which I did, which, yeah. yeah, was because so often when you bring out something that might be spiritual in essence or um, metaphysical, if you want to call it that, it's a, it's a really strange genre, uh, or prose or poetry, which is the format this sort of talk. To be honest with you, we had to kind of put it under that because we didn't know what else John would ask John to put yeah, it under. Yeah. It's a bit uh, and it's a day of page format, as you know. So one of the reasons that I used a pseudonym was because when you read those sorts of works, often you're trying to find the author in the pages. You're trying to find them in there. Like what were they thinking when they wrote that? Because it's not technically a fictional story. And I didn't want that. I didn't want the, um, the author part of it to be an integral part. I just wanted people to open it up on any page and sit with what they were reading and interpret it for themselves. Yeah. And um, it's been called, a reviewer called it ambiguous, and I was so happy. Yeah, like, that's, that's great. <laughs> it's, it's actually normally you would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. But I was like, yes, because some of it's very simple and some of it, as it came through when I was writing it, um, was actually, some people have called it a Rubik's Cube for the mind, but I felt as though it, it, when it sits with people, if if it takes them to a deeper part of themselves that allows themselves to bubble up and have some feelings about the world or themselves in one page a day, uh, then it will have achieved what I want. Well, that was my intention. Yeah. That was my intention with the book. Yeah. Uh, and and it had look I, when I read it, and I and I love it. I think I described it. To, I couldn't find words to describe it, but the word that I came up with when we were talking the other day was it's it's soul and it's very hard to understand what I even mean by that on Mm. a cerebral sort of level because it it doesn't it affects you on a a different level and when I when I read it yeah I actually see parts of myself reflected back at me which I may not have seen before I may not have realized before in in my own interpretation of it Mm -hmm. um so are we actually allowed to tell people exactly what it's called? I mean, given yeah, that you wrote it under. <laughs> here we go, big world exclusive. 
Not it is actually, it is actually, because listeners, this is the thing. We're we're some of the first people to know who actually wrote vignettes for the possibly dying, right? Yes, you are. Yes, it's been I and I, as I said, I purposely didn't want anybody to know who I was. And that's been so much fun too. Mm. (laughs) It's actually been a lot of fun. and quite empowering because you also take away the expectation. Yep. Of, um, often when you're putting yourself out there, particularly if you're uh, creating something yourself, there's the old the old joke that um, you've made lots of book sales but mostly to family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I have some pretty passionate family that probably would have bought a heap of them. Uh, and then I, so I wanted it to be, I really wanted it to stand on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also putting it out there, um, I was able to use my background um, to help launch it. Yeah. And that's the world we're living in now too is that, you know, you can, you're not just reaching people in your town, you can reach people all over the world. Yeah. That has been incredible. It has been so much fun. And, you know, and, and the beauty too is when you do something with intention and that's what you wanted for it, but how it's received is, is not up to you. But it's really lovely when it is received in the way it was intended. And um, it seems to have resonated with people far beyond anything I could have, far beyond what I could have hoped for. Oh, look, and way beyond any of the constructs of the um, <laughs> the publishing mm-hmm. industry, I imagine. Um, because as you say, it's it's not written with... A specific audience in mind like you and you get that it's just so um deeply personal and and so listeners if you're thinking okay what, what's the pen name it's kb eliza so kb eliza and she has a tiktok account too <laughs> um, and it's vignettes for the possibly dying and um and if you're considering um purchasing it purchasing it for yourself um and and this is not an attempt at marketing. This is just, just me going. Oh, help me plug. <laughs> really, it is an extraordinary book. And I mean that in the true sense of the word. It is extraordinary. And um, I would also highly recommend um, getting the companion journal because what seems to be happening with a lot of people is that they read it, but then they end up writing their own vignettes. Yes. And I think there's that's something that people like, I started reading it, but then I had to put it down. I'm like, okay, no, it's a day page. You just just read one page a day and see what comes up for you when you read it and what you thought it thought of it, and then write your own. Mm. And a vignette is a is a is a glimpse. It's a snapshot of something larger. And to me, that was just so. That was the perfect um, the perfect word because we came up with a few different meditations for the possibly dying and some no and then vignettes just seem to be so perfect because that's what it sort of captures but yeah and so then I'm like well you really need something to write your own vignettes down on (coughs) and so yeah we did the companion journal which has been people seem to be getting it together which is great and using it for that reason which is brilliant I love that I love that people are thinking in that way and tapping into them because Nobody owns creativity, right? Mm. I see people, I used to write, I used to hold writing workshops and um, people say, oh, I can't write. 
I can't write. I'm like, you're human. Yeah. <laughs> story you everybody has a story absolutely you can write and there's ways to tap into those different parts we and then you sit back and go whoa okay it may not be Hemingway it may not be Bronte but and hmm, why would you want it to be exactly (laughs) so people need to remember that you know everybody has a story and that's really important yep and so giving yourself permission to do that too because that's it's not hard to back it is hard sometimes to back yourself um, particularly when you're putting out a piece of work that will be measured and judged by others. Yep, and by others who don't necessarily even understand the intent behind it. Oh, yeah, some people have been, um, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just went way over, what does it mean? I'm like, what does it mean for you? Yeah. You know, and you had a really, you had a really interesting um, a professional review um, that was written on it. Mm. Um, can you remind me what? that reviewer said i've had a few now um and then i had a dear friend who's a best-selling author said don't ever read the reviews <laughs> and at first you get excited because the idea that you even published something somebody wants to take the time to read and reviews huge like wow cool um but it was the <laughs> first one was just a nihilistic it just totally um went from <laughs> bagging it out and then basically I don't get it it's ambiguous then to the end where it actually sounds like he was completely in love with it and quite confused as to why it couldn't work out (laughs) and but it was really funny though because what you didn't realize is when he was saying all the things that he was saying it was actually the entire intention of the book right that was the whole I was meant to it was meant to do this some of these things and ended up comparing me to um who was it Dickinson (laughs) <laughs> and I went, well, I'll take that. That's fine. We can. I don't mind being compared to Emily Dickinson, even if she was what was it, stark and sparse. I'm like, okay. And and then on the on the opposite spectrum, one of the highlights for me was uh, a lady in North Carolina. This most beautiful lady was that excited when she got it and read it. She sent me a photo of herself with the book and. <sighs> He left reviews everywhere that that just meant the world, that someone had taken the time. And then there was another reviewer recently from the book Commentary and um, they're very well respected and my heart was beating a little bit quicker because, you know, reviewers are quite powerful. Mm, They have the ability to make or break you. Mm -hmm. And they got it, the reviewer... um, got it so well that I'm almost tempted if I write any more to actually get them to write the blurb of every single <laughs> book I ever write again. Mm. They just completely got it on every level and the review was like, incre- it was just incredible. It was it really f- enriched my being, I suppose, without sounding too over the top. But to receive that was was incredibly rewarding and then it, and then it gives you sort of it, it puts more fuel in the tank to keep going yeah mm. because it is an industry and you do need to have people that say yep this is worth a read yeah yeah and even um and I know we're sort of getting to the end of our time but but even even though you'd had the you know amazing kind of journey that mm-hmm. you'd had um, and I'm saying this kind of as reassurance to, to listeners as well, or asking you more as reassurance to listeners. 
and even though you had in huge part given yourself this life of permission as a result of all the stuff that you'd been through, mm-hmm. um, there was still, it, my impression is, my understanding is there was still another layer of permission um, mm-hmm. um, in, in writing this book and in putting it out there, right? Even after all of the work you'd done. A hundred percent. And, you know, doing some of the work I did with you as well is that the also understanding that sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, that the subconscious plays a huge part in our conscious world. That has, that's been revelationary to me mm. because sometimes we will just hesitate or we won't listen to ourselves and we won't know why. We don't have a why and we can get tangled up in that. So... Absolutely. And I do, I do really think that our whole life is a, we are, we are here to learn. This is a, this is a, um, it's a school, it's a school of learning and there's going to be, it's humanity. So there's shades in it and there is going to be times of joy and there are going to be times of sadness and grief and shadows and, you know, all of that. It's, it's a, it's a portrait, isn't it, that makes up somebody's life. But I would encourage every single person, if that was my message to anyone listening to this, to think, am I actually living the life I really want to be living? Mm. And what are some of the signs around me that might be showing me that I'm not? Yeah. And to take a breath and be so kind to yourself and just start to think about the ways that you can nurture and love yourself. And I don't mean love yourself in the way that it's slapped around. I mean love as in look at yourself with kindness like you would your own child or you would your sister or your mother or your best friend Um, because the expectations of the world seep into your skin without your permission. Yeah. That's such an important point to make, you know, in listening to this, don't look back and beat yourself up. (laughs) That's not what this is about. Um, You know, we're we're so much less kind to ourselves than we are to the people around us. We bully ourselves more than we do anyone else. So, So let's not do that and base this kind of, you know, uncovering of what this life is that we're meant to be living, that we want to ultimately, be. Yeah, and it ultimately comes down to peace. Yeah. How I, do I feel peaceful within? Do I feel a sense of calm? Is it real calm? Is it peace? And I would suggest to everybody if they could start their day early in the morning and do something kind for themselves in the morning and reflect and have a, a you know, a, a basis to start their day. That is the the best starting point anybody can make and sitting with themselves and feeling calm within themselves and and take some notes, see what comes up. If you pray, pray. If you meditate, meditate. If you go for a beach walk, do that. But do something for yourself each morning that gets the whole mind, body happening and set up for whatever comes during the day. That's the best starting point anybody could really make because the permission thing, I mean, look, I, I, I... gave myself permission to live the ultimate life and I still smash myself around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Like you want to be far more peaceful and calm within, you know. Um, Didn't go jumping off any cliffs but came close. And you (laughs) just, it's about feeling peaceful. And peace controls everything. In When we talk about peace, obviously it's calm. 
that affects your central nervous system, it affects your gut health, it affects your mind, your relationships. It your, all ability just to, to, your ability to listen to your personal guidance system. I know, right? I wish we had a dial on our arm. Well, you know, you should say that. Oh, hang on. <laughs> I, you know, what, what, again, in this sort of fascination I have with um, heart-brain coherence, yes. there is um, technology out there now, which something might be, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so you can, you can in real time see your level of coherence. And I tell you what, you have a, you have a thought and a thought that doesn't serve you, voomph, your coherence goes down real time. You can see it. It's amazing. I mean, what I is think- this magic? Oh, look, I think three times a day. I'm so fascinated with it, this coherence thing. Um, if people are interested in that, you can get these gadgets. I got mine through HeartMath, the HeartMath Institute. Um, um, <laughs> but Kirsten, if people want to get your book, Yes. Where do they go? What What are your websites? Where, you know, where can okay. they go from? Well, it's very simple. If you jump on kbeliza.com, that has a listing of all of the major uh, sellers of the book. Most of the big names you can think of um, stock it or will order it for you. Uh, and then we're about to list all of the independent bookstores that are that I'm very um, grateful to for taking a chance on to stock as well. So there's lot there's so many places that you can get it now, which is really wonderful. Okay. So, yes. so kbeliza.com and. And I've got to say, complete honesty, I love your TikTok videos. Like I love, you know, it's, 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 I find them beautiful. So if people are Thank curious you. about, um, you know, looking, looking things up there too, um, KB Eliza on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Thank Great. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Kirsten, I, you know, as, as always, I'm so grateful to you for sharing so openly, so honestly, so down to earth. And yet, you know, I'm going to use, I'm going to use that cliche heart, heart, you know, with heart, with deep, deep heart. Um, I love it. I love these. I, I'm grateful to you for having me on here because to be able to have these kind of conversations is a real gift because you don't, you don't have that with everybody being able to be in that space where you can be you and be safe in being you yeah, leaning right. into courage and being vulnerable as Brene Brown would say yeah. <laughs> thank you Kirsten and and listeners thank you thank you for being here with us for being present with us for, for but you know these these conversations are journeys well they are for me anyway and I and I I hope they are for you in in your own way as well um so thank you for being a part of this with us. And it enriches our whole community having conversations like this. It enriches our whole planet. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, or as Pavarotti said, from my bottom of my heart. Um, so you know, we'd, we'd love it. If, if you felt like giving us a review or a comment, that would be wonderful. Um, if there are people you think would particularly um, benefit from, from or enjoy this episode, of course, you can share this directly with them. And remember that Kirsten's first episode was number 13. And I'd highly, highly recommend you have a listen to that one as well. It's just full of just wealth and depth and wonderfulness. Um, so everyone, until next time, and I'll look forward to meeting with you then. Bye.